0: So uh, it's a really great pleasure to have uh, Francesco Gringoli here. Francesco is an assistant professor at the University of Brescia in Italy. He's uh, he's mainly working on developing uh, QS enabled protocols for wireless networks. And he's very well known for reverse engineering the uh, firmware of the Broadcom cards, which are so widely spread. But he's also interested in other things, such as uh, network traffic analysis and uh, Simulation methodologies and all that, and uh, so he's been. He's going to be here for the whole week. You can catch him after the talk and ask him questions if you want. And today he's been. Uh, he's going to be talking about playing with standards, the case of IEEE 8.11 So thanks. Thank you, thank you, Paul. It's really a pleasure to be here today and this week to work with you. Okay, uh, what I'm going to show you today is uh, what we did with the uh, reverse engineering this firmware and why we did it and some recent and uh, less recent results that we get uh, so far so this is uh, an outline i will first uh, present you with uh, the modular architecture that is on top of uh, the linux kernel but maybe i think that you all guys know this but uh, some slides on this topic And then I will introduce the open source firmware that we did, that is a firmware that can run over the Broadcom card and uh, the news about uh, recent, very recent work that we have. And then I will show you some results that we obtained to demonstrate uh, improvement for the 802.11 protocol. One was uh, on partial packet recovery that I think uh, somebody here is uh, doing something similar with the uh, fragmentation and retransmission of short fragments, so I will show you this work. The Piggy that I did uh, in collaboration with uh, guys from the IMDI Institute, and uh, something that really recent we did on localization, that is uh, using 802.11 standard devices to locate target stations. So the reason why we want to play with the Thunder 2.11 is because we need a platform where we can really test the algorithms that we can uh, simulate that we can uh, analyze mathematically, but we have to test it in the real world because uh, if we just limit uh, the attention to the simulation, we cannot catch all the wh- wh- really what is going on because for instance, if we want to study how the backoff strategy can be changed to improve the performance using a simulator. Okay, this can be done. But uh, if we don't know clearly how the channel is affecting uh, transmissions, we cannot use a simulator, because we have first to define how the channel can be simulated inside the simulator. So we can do some in-field testing to prove that what we have designed, and it works in a simulator, really works in the real world. what we can use uh, to do experiments are a uh, really complex platform like this one, the warp uh, from the Rice University, that is, uh, unfortunately, it, it is really complex, you can do a lot of things with this uh, device, but it is also really, really expensive. And uh, it is also really complex to use because uh, it's, um, uh, it's, it's an FPGA, it is based the last re- release on Virtex 6, So, uh, what you usually do with this is to integrate an ARM design core on it and then to run uh, code uh, compiled for the ARM uh, CPU. This uh, CPU is uh, really tied to the hardware because it has uh, direct access to the register, to scheduling packets and so on. But, uh, after having talked with the guys that are using this platform, is there anybody here using this? No. So, they told me that... uh, Sometimes when you integrate, uh, for instance, uh, it under two dot eleven n phi, then you have to deeply know the VHDL code because sometimes what can happen is that this card cannot uh, talk with the standard devices because something uh, that you do not take uh, take into account inside the design for the FPGA is. Uh, changing the way, the timings, for instance, that should be uh, considered for doing transmission and then transmission. So you have to analyze the VHDL call. And this can be really hard. So about the cost is uh, approximately 10,000 euro per card. So if you want to simulate a very big network, you have to have a very a lot of money. So what we wanted to do is to replace this part. We, want, we don't want to use these complex devices with off-the-shelf hardware, that is a uh, common card that you can buy at the superstore for uh, ten dollars. So you can you can do very complex networks uh, with a uh, thousands of nodes. Now, today we have uh, several network interface cards from uh, different vendors and uh, almost all of them are based on a soft mask uh, approach, that means that uh, it's uh, the kernel here, the driver that prepares the packets for the 802.11 domain plus a lot of descriptors like for instance the timings that should be used, the rate that should be used for the first uh, transmission, for the retransmission and so on. Then we have uh, the network interface card that takes care of very low level uh, stuff like uh, actually transmitting the packet or uh, uh, answering uh, an incoming packet with uh, the acknowledgement uh, that requires uh, very very tight timings because uh, we are talking about uh, slots of uh, 10 microseconds. Now all these cards are executing a firmware that is uh, a software that is uh, able to um, control the card and this card means have uh, a CPU. Unfortunately While the driver is uh, open source, the firmware is uh, a binary blob of data and uh, vendors do not want to open the source code uh, to you because uh, they tell that uh, in this case you can change the standard and then our devices will not uh, work anymore or you can increase power you can uh, you can do something that will put these devices out of standards so they will never release this code uh, some cards does not do not have uh, a firmware like for instance the Atheros and this is a pity because the Atheros guys are really uh, collaborative. You can write uh, questions to them and they answer really promptly but unfortunately they are not executing a firmware. They are really uh, tied to the design so you cannot change the behavior of an Atheros card. You can uh, read the register, you can uh, get uh, statistics over the channel and so on. Unfortunately, we cannot use Atheros, and we have to use other cards, like for instance the Broadcom cards. And uh, I will then introduce them, but before we can have some slides on what the Linux Kernel does with the packets uh, that should be transmitted over the wireless card. We have a packet that are first uh, designed as an Ethernet packet, then are converted to make 800 uh, format by this module. And then below we have uh, drivers that are uh, designed specifically for every vendor, for every card. So we have the B43 module that is uh, controlling the Broadcom cards. We have uh, the um, Car 9170 that is uh, controlling uh, Atheros cards based on uh, this chipset. And this driver is an open source driver for the Atheros cards. Now, there is something that uh, is, per, uh, is controlled by the card, for instance, the acknowledgement, beaconing and the retransmission. It is uh, the firmware that I was talking about. So we have here a CPU, we have the radio, we have the CPU executing the code, and this code takes care of, uh, for instance, uh, beaconing, uh, retransmitting packets when they are not acknowledged and so on. We choose the Broadcom architecture, because uh, we found over the internet somebody that has developed uh, uh, assembling and disassembling tools. So we can start from these tools to disassemble the firmware, and then to understand how this firmware was, uh, w- was written and why it was written that way. I mean, the, we have to put uh, several markers inside the code to understand uh, why some functions have been called uh, during the execution of the protocol. Then we had to do a lot of activity to understand uh, some registers that were um, concerned, used for the very specific timings, uh, the commands that uh, are used to schedule transmission to, uh, to raise the IRQ so that the packet, the received packet is transferred to the host and so on. At, at the end, uh, we released this firmware that we called the Open Firmware for Wireless uh, network here open WWF and you can use it clearly it is really limited because you can use uh, just to do DCF it uh, complies with DCF but uh, for instance it does not uh, comply with the quality of service and other extension like for instance ACCA and so on but you can start from this it's uh, I can say documented, that, or you can ask me if you don't understand this code and I will uh, uh, try to help you and you can build on, you can build other protocol and what uh, I will show you afterwards is uh, some protocols that we develop, but before I want to show you that the architecture, that is, uh, the Broadcom architecture is a general purpose CPU that you can use uh, to, to, to do whatever you want Let's check for instance how the packet transmission works. We have a packet here that was prepared by the kernel and transferred through the DMA subsystem to the card. So we have the packet entering the card through a the FIFO. Then this, uh, the CPU can ask the transmission engine to advance the packet so that at the end the packet is moved to the FI the seri- serialized into a stream of bit, encoded according to FDM or CCK modulation and finally it is transmitted. We set up a timer because we need to wait for the acknowledgement to see if the packet was actually received by the receiver or not and if an- we receive an acknowledgement The internal CPU understands that we get the acknowledgement, so it cancels the timeout, the the, the clock. Finally, it drops the acknowledgement because we don't want to pass it to the the kernel because it's useless. And we finally tell the kernel that this packet was transmitted successfully. So what we learn from this is that uh, this architecture has a CPU that is general purpose, So that uh, everything like the time to wait for the acknowledgement, uh, whether or or not dropping a a packet uh, and uh, the beaconing, the back-off exponential uh, procedure and so on is defined at the software level. And if you can change the software because you have uh, the tools that we provide, then you can change also the Mac. So we have a general purpose hardware. What, What can we do? We can try to do TDM. So we have a packet, like before, it's transferred through the TMA subsystem. Then we have to wait for the scheduled time, because it's TDM, this time it's not more DCF. And when the times come, the CPU fires this packet to the air that is transmitted. What cannot be changed? We have a CPU, we can change the software, we can change the Mac, because we can change the timings and other stuff. But here the, the radio is fixed, so we cannot change the way packets are encoded. So we have to use the OFDM or CCK encodings encoding that are defined by the standard. So we cannot change this low level stuff. For this part you have to, to use the warp, uh, the warp architecture. Okay, here I have some descriptions about the hardware. I think this is uh, maybe interesting. It's an 88 megahertz CPU. So it's not so slow, but uh, it's uh, limited because uh, it's a very small design. It's a single pipe CPU. So when you want to develop something, you have to take care that you have a slow CPU and that you have to encode everything Using assembly, unfortunately, there is no compiler or tool chain to transform C language into this assembly code. This CPU has direct access to all hardware registers, for instance, the channel frequency, timer setup, uh, the scheduling of packets, uh, channel status, slot duration, the transmission power, and also the automatic gain control that has been used to um, amplify the incoming packet. What about uh, the interface to air? First, there is no real carrier sense. So you can can transmit whenever you want. So generally people think that uh, if there is something on the air, then the hardware will not transmit on it because uh, this will force a collision. But this is not true because uh, you have control of the transmitter. So the software actually, when there is something to transmit, verifies that the channel is free. And if it is free, then it transmits. Otherwise, it will transmit later. But if we do not care about the register that controls the signal, the level of the signal on the channel, then we can transmit. And one experiment that uh, we did together with a son when he was in Brescia was uh, to wait for incoming packet and decide that we want to jam a packet given the packet itself so we are filtering packets and if we detect that this packet was sent for, for example by Paul computer then we jam it otherwise don't and so Paul is excluded from, from the network so we can do this very, really low level stuff Instead, in the interface from here, we have hardware acceleration to compute the frame check sequence for the PLCP for the the incoming packet to match uh, the destination address of the received packet. We can copy the received packet to the internal memory so that we can analyze packets. And this is interesting, really, because packets are buffered as soon as symbols are decoded. So you can be in the middle of uh, receiving a packet uh, at uh, 54 megabit per second, and you can start analyzing the packet, even if the packet has not been completely received. And this is interesting because we have a very slow CPU, 88 megahertz, but we can offload the packet analysis because we can uh, analyze bytes as soon as they are decoded. Okay, what about the support for the N5? Because uh, I didn't... didn't tell you that uh, this work today is uh, only for G-card. So when you write a paper today, the reviewer usually say no, you should uh, do these experiments uh, with an N-phi because today we have N, we have also AC that is much more powerful than N. So you have to develop something also for the n Unfortunately, the n driver, not firmware, the driver, is not really working uh, today. There is one driver for this kind of card that we have that uh, has been uh, released by Broadcom directly, and it is open source, but it is not supporting a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff that instead the, uh, the, the, the B43 driver supports. We have problem with uh, the power levels, so we want first to release the driver, the, the correct driver, and after... The driver is working, then we will begin uh, reverse engineering the firmware. That is much, that is really similar to the one they were using on the G-Card but uh, there is a lot of stuff more because you have also the MIMO engine to control two radios and so on. Instead here this seems really, this this seems very interesting. What is instead uh, the driver that is used on uh, almost all the Android phone? We recently discovered that the the firmware that is used on Android phone is not uh, like the one we are using today, but it's uh, the binary code of an ARM processor. So um, this means that uh, on an Android phone we have two ARM processors. One is the general processor running the operating system and the other one is another ARM processor that is just running the Wi-Fi protocols. This means that uh, you have a very... Powerful CPU on the, ra- on the radio that is also an NFI, So if we are able to understand how it works and to build from scratch, this time in C language, a firmware, then we will really proud to release this because uh, this means that the research community can do very interesting stuff on top of uh, very very cheap and portable devices like this one, but uh, this I think re- will require a lot of time. So, let's move to the exploitation of this uh, of this stuff that we develop. I will talk about partial packet recovery algorithms really really fun, really quick. Then I will introduce the piggybacking and the localization. I will skip this one because uh, sooner or later you, I. I hope Elenio will show this directly to you. And uh, the Mac engine is something that we developed within the Flavia project, where David and Paul are involved. And it's uh, uh, something that we today want to try to also sell because uh, instead of requiring people to understand the assembly language, it requires people to design a Mac by just using uh, um, a graphical tool. But this is, I don't want to talk uh, about this uh, today. I will now move to the partial packet recovery. We published a couple of papers on this topic, and uh, the main motivation about that, that pushed uh, to develop the partial packet recovery was that uh, when you transmit a packet over a wireless channel, even if only one bit is broken, then you have to retransmit the entire packet. So this, uh, this requires a lot of time because you have to retransmit an entire packet. So the idea was to just retransmit the corrupt part of the packet. This is already implemented in the G standard because you have the possibility to fragment packets, but this requires to transmit a small fragments and wait for the acknowledgement and so on. Instead, what we want to do is to transmit the entire packet, having the receiver Computing something on the packet and report to the transmitter which part of the packet was broken, so that the transmitter will retransmit only that part, speeding up the process. So if we suppose to divide packets into blocks of 64 bytes, what we see, if we capture the traffic, is that the number of blocks that are affected by errors is really limited. So you, you, you can find several packets, a lot, sorry, a lot of packets with only one block corrupted and you see that the number of packets with the four block corrupted is really low. So this means that if we are able to retransmit just the broken, the single broken block in this case, we can save a lot of time because we retransmit just 64 bytes instead of the entire packet. Now we'll skip to this uh, slide so that I can demonstrate how it works. Here we have the Maranello scheme, here we have the packet that is divided into block of 64 bytes, then we transmit the packet, sorry, we pre-compute here at the transmitter a number of coefficients and we use uh, we, we should use CRC because they are really powerful to detect errors, but uh, uh, given the limits of this architecture, we have used the Fletcher coefficients. In this case, at the transmitter, we pass this packet to the firmware together with the number of coefficients here this this coefficient was computed over this block, the second coefficient over the second block and so on. Then we transmit the packet, the receiver receives the packet and computes over the same block the coefficients. Coefficients here have been computed by the receiver during the packet reception. Now we have a frame check sequence that protects the entire packet. If the packet is detected as corrupted then We don't send back the acknowledgement, but we send back a negative acknowledgement, including all these coefficients. So we send back the coefficients to the transmitter. The transmitter can now compare coefficient to coefficient and detect which block was wrong. Imagine this block was wrong, then we retransmit only this block. The block arrives at the receiver, and the receiver, after checking that the transmission was uh, successful, then we recompose the original packet. So we have saved a lot of time in this case. Now, uh, what are the advantages of uh, the uh, PQR? that is uh, practical because we did it uh, on uh, real devices, partial packet recovery, is that uh, is a receiver controlled recovery because it is the receiver to tell the transmitter, please send me this block and not the entire packet again. Then we are using the same air time to transmit back the negative acknowledgement that is usually reserved for the acknowledgement. So we are not uh, losing air airtime to the channel. It's a very fast packet recovery because it requires to transmit only the wrong block. It's better for this reason uh, with respect to eleven fragmentation and also with respect to the AMPU retransmission because we have a really small block. We implemented time critical operations in the firmware at the receiver to compute the block checksum and to send back to, to forge the negative acknowledgement. And at transmitter, we implemented at the firmware the block level retransmission. We cannot do this uh, in the driver space because uh, passing information through the PCI bus requires a, very, a lot of time because we have, um, let's say, 100 microseconds latency over the bus. So we have to do everything within 10 microseconds, so that we can send back the negative acknowledgement. And we can do this only at the firmware level. Then we tried uh, some experiments um, by measuring the throughput that we can get uh, over 60 seconds using the legacy firmware, and uh, afterwards we run the same experiments over 60 seconds using the Maranello-modified firmware, and then we repeat this experiment a lot of time, and we take the throughput legacy and the throughput... uh, um, computed using Maranello as a, a as a point and then we report this point in this uh, in this graph so this means that this is the throughput of uh, legacy 802.11 this is the throughput obtained by Maranello in a home network and you see that the majority of the points are above the uh, diagonal of the graph this means that we have an improve using uh, the Maranello firmware then we repeated this experiment in the at and laboratory and also in the Maryland campus, because at that time I was working with a, a guy from this university. And uh, we, al- always, uh, um, we always that, um, measure that using this firmware we can get speed up up to boosting, uh, where is the card? Boosting the throughput uh, over a factor of two here, between one and two, clearly. Okay. Okay. What we are also able to do is to reduce the latency because we are retransmitting just selected part of the packets without, uh, so so you you see here we have the cumulative uh, um, density function for the Maranello firmware and this is for the legacy firmware and the majority of packets transmitted using Maranello have a a shorter, um, a smaller, sorry, um, latency. Okay, now... I have some more minutes. What about piggybacking mechanism? Piggybacking has been described in the literature uh, several times, but uh, we tried to implement it uh, actually for the first time here using these devices. Here we can uh, use uh, piggybacking to speed up uh, the transmission of uh, TCP sessions across a wireless network. Usually what happens is that you transmit uh, a data segment from uh, left to right, and then you transmit back the TCP acknowledgement from right to left but this requires two different access to the channel. The first access is to transmit the data segment to the right, then we have a layer 2 acknowledgement and afterwards, after the backoff, the receiver will transmit back the TCP acknowledgement to the left and then this node will send back the acknowledgement, the layer 2 acknowledgement. So we have four transmissions to transmit to left uh, a TCP data segment. What we want instead to do is something like this. We have the transmitter that, is wa- that wants to send to the receiver a TCP data segment and uh, we find a segment here in the input queue. Then we transmit this segment and if the receiver, I mean if the firmware detects that there is a TCP acknowledgement in the queue, then instead of sending back the layer two acknowledgement, it will send back directly to the transmitter a longer acknowledgement that is including the layer four acknowledgement. So this means that now the transmitter knows that the segment was actually received, not only the uh, layer two segment, but also the TCP data segment. Now, imagine that we are going to transmit another segment and we send it to the receiver the receiver now checks the firmware checks inside the queue and it does not find anything here uh, in the queue, in this case it will send back the legacy layer 2 acknowledgement now what we implemented for the piggybacking here at the firmware, at the Sender, we are uh, using this scheme only if a TCP data is, uh, is transmitted, so the receiver will use the piggybacking technique only if TCP data is received and if there is a TCP acknowledgement in the queue, that means that in the queue there is not a data a data segment, because otherwise we can have a, a ping-pong uh, so that uh, there is a capture of the channel. What about the layer 2 acknowledgement with the TCP layer 4 acknowledgement? It's longer, so it's not completely protected by the nav field in the original uh, transmitted TCP segment. This means that uh, if we have uh, hidden nodes, uh, this can collide uh, with uh, segments, with packets, sorry, transmitted by other stations. In in any case, at the kernel we implemented this uh, function. If the received packet is an acknowledgement, but it is longer, then it means that uh, we have a TCP data segment and the kernel will uh, forge and inject to the higher level a recovered TCP acknowledgement to the stack. So we then evaluated the performance uh, using a similar algorithm that we used for, uh, the, for the, to prove the partial packet recovery boosted the, the throughput. So for 60 seconds we exchange traffic with the legacy firmware and f- then for other 60 seconds we exchange traffic with this piggyback mechanism and we repeat this uh, procedure uh, hundreds of times. And then we get the throughput for the first and the throughput for the second and we use uh, throughput one and throughput two as a point here. In this graph, and we report on the x axis the legacy throughput, and on the y axis the piggybacking, uh, the TCP piggybacking throughput. And okay, we had we don't have a, a two times boost of the throughput, but you see the majority of points stand above the diagonal of the graph. So we have an improvement of the throughput. We, repeat, we, do, we did this with uh, two megabits per second. We tested also with 11 megabits per second. The effect is uh, more visible. And then we moved to rate control uh, scenario. So not fixed at the rate. And what we see is something like this. And unfortunately, it's, an, it's one year that i not... Uh, What can you understand? Nothing. So uh, a lot of work is required here to see what happens if the rate control algorithm is at work. So I don't have (laughs) new result about using the rate control algorithm. Then uh, I want to briefly introduce also the piggybacking mechanism that we uh, used to improve the transmission of VoIP data across network because we know that 802.11 standard DCF protocol, I'm talking about DCF, is not suited for voice traffic transmission because uh, voice traffic transmission uh, requires uh, to, be, to be delivered within a given time, otherwise the, seg- the, the data segments are uh, not useful and are dropped by the voice codec uh, using Skype, Viber or Kiga. So what we want to do is to use the same algorithm that I showed you for the TCP piggybacking to improve the performance of uh, voice traffic. So this is uh, usually what happens when you run uh, um, a VoIP codec here over a wireless network. You transmit the voice data, then you have to wait for the sifts, then the receiver will send back the layer to acknowledgement, then after the backoff, in this case it's the minimum Possible that is the DFS, the receiver will send back the voice traffic. Here, then we wait for a CFAS and then the other node will send back again the layer 2 acknowledgement. What we want to do instead is to shorten this time and to avoid this acknowledgement and this acknowledgement and to send this voice packet immediately after this one. In this case, we have the VoIPG exchange. We can shorten instead of sending back here the first layer two acknowledgement, we send back a longer acknowledgement that is including also the voice data that is here. This means that this wait time and this wait time are not wasted anymore. And we can also leave here we can free a lot of airtime that can be used either to increase the number of uh, VoIP stations that can be served by this uh, architecture or also to have data stations that can transmit during this time that, is, uh, that, is, uh, that has been free. Okay, then uh, there are some slides about what we modified. It is really similar to the TCP uh, scheme that uh, I, I just showed you. So I will move really fast here. And this was the test bet that we used. Here we had uh, 33 nodes that uh, are Alex nodes, really cheap nodes with uh, the Broadcom cards And if you want to repeat these experiments using the warp, you have to spend uh, more than 20,000 euros. So instead, we we spent less than uh, 1,000. So it was possible to to do this testing. Then we used the M gene to generate the traffic, so to mimic the behavior of uh, voice, voice traffic. And what we were able to observe is something like this. This is a graph reporting the number of voice stations and the mean throughput for every station. With the codec that we chose, the minimum throughput, uh, sorry, the mean throughput for a single voice channel is 24 kilobit per second. And you see here, this curve is the throughput curve when you are using the legacy, DCF firmware, and you see that you can have up to five stations. Here instead is the curve that we get using the voip modified firmware, and you see that the throughput is 24 Mbps per second, even with 10 stations. So we improve the network because uh, instead of having just five stations, we can have 10 stations sending VoIP traffic. We did this experiment by using uh, fixed data rate to one megabit per second. With the second curve instead here, you see what happens when we switch to two megabit per second data rate. This is the curve uh, for the legacy firmware that that allows to have up to nine stations. And here instead it's what we get when we use the VoIPIGI modified Firmware, and we can have up to 13 stations at an acceptable data rate because the mean is 24. But uh, with voice traffic, you can tolerate to lose some uh, some data, but not all the data, like in this case. Sorry, yeah, a, how are we going to interpret the x axis there? Given you have it's 10, which looks like an integer, right? So 4, 5, 6, but you have some smoothing in between. This is the Yes. this one? No, so the x-axis is, is an integer, right? yes, it's a number of like extension but you, for instance, if you look between 12 and 14 you have a load of points, right? yes and how can I have a little, you know, did you have 12 points on stations? because this was uh, an interpolated curve done by, by us, okay. okay so you have a, a point here, a point here I, I don't know why this matter? Uh, I, I I can send you the original no card no with the no interpolation. That was I think it's a spline. I, uh. okay. 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 Then what about uh, I will skip the Mac engine because it requires a lot of time. But I want to show you something that we are working on these days. That is the localization problem. Is a paper that we submitted one month ago to Infocom and uh, uh, what we want to do is to use uh, uh, standard access points that we call anchors to localize target in a wireless network. That is a target, it's a mobile phone, it's a, my laptop and so on. So the basic algorithm is really is really simple because at an anchor you transmit a probe then you start a clock and when you get back the acknowledgement and then you stop the clock and you compute the delay. Then, there is a proportional link between this time and the distance between the anchor and the target. You have just to calibrate this uh, delay so that you can transform this delay into a, a distance measure. So it's something based on time of flight, and you know the position of the anchors because it's you that uh, position them in a, an environment. and. Uh, if you correlate the measure from different anchors, then you can using a, a lot of algorithms like Bancroft algorithms, bounding box, and so on, you can find the position of the target. Okay, then you go to the Cisco website or to the website of the Frenaufer Institute and you see that okay, we, we sell this system. So what is the novelty? First, the majority of this system is using also power estimation but uh, power estimation uh, we tested has uh, a, very, a very low accuracy. But the Cisco also is using time-of-flight measurement. So what we did was to prove if this can actually work or not, because we wanted to uh, check if the variability of the target in replying to acknowledgement can, have, uh, can affect the measurement. So the question was, but are we sure that all the targets uh, behave in the same way and uh, transmit back the acknowledgement uh, exactly after 10 microseconds because with the variability of uh, the plethora of uh, chipsets that we have today, maybe one can believe that uh, it's not like this. And we proved this. Now, uh, just for be uh, clearer, we have here two anchors. This is my laptop. Here we, from this anchor, I start the first ranging, so the probe uh, arrives at my laptop, they send back the acknowledgement, then I transform this delay measurement into a distance, and then this means that my laptop is located into this circle that is uh, centered to this anchor. Then we have the second anchor that is doing the same, it's the second ranging, It is sending the probe to my laptop. My laptop answers back with an acknowledgement. And finally, we transform this uh, delay measurement into a ranging into into meters. Okay? So at the intersection of these uh, two circles, it's my laptop. Now, imagine that, but we have two intersections. So we need at least another anchor. This anchor is located uh, here. You don't see, but... It's there, so we do the third measurement and we get this third circle it's not at the intersection because this measurement is, uh, is uh, really affected by, by noise that noise that I will show you so this means that we have to correlate this, uh, all these three measures this is the real position and the estimated position is affected by error okay So what we need to do this kind of measurement? We need uh, some ingredients, a very fast clock, and luckily the Broadcom cards have an 88 MHz clock. So the resolution with this kind of clock can be up to 1.7 meters, if you do the computation considering the speed light, and some, trigger, some easy to trigger conditions, because uh, you, can, you have to spin to detect the end Here of the received probe and to detect sorry, you have to start the clock here when the packet transmission ends and you have to stop the clock here when the acknowledgement reception ends so you you, you need easy to trigger conditions so that you can do this uh, checking using one single instructions and uh, luckily there are such kind of instructions and we can use it now, the first experiment, I did it uh, on Sunday in my department. Here it's a corridor, a very long corridor, because it's uh, 35 meters here and then other 35 meters on the, on the, on, on the, on the right. So I put uh, an anchor here, another here, and uh, a third one like here, so that uh, the three anchors were equally spaced. And this red point is the target. Then I put the target on uh, wheels and I move the target from here all all along the corridor. That is 70 meters. And this is the measure that we can have using the uh, leftmost anchor. Here is the target real position. And here on the y-axis you see the number of clock cycles that are monitored. (coughs) By averaging out over thousands of measures. So there is something uh, not so accurate because here you see you have uh, an explosion of the number of uh, clock cycles then down again over the correct line and so on. This is what uh, reports the the, the, the anchor in the middle and also this measure is not accurate because you see here you have the number of of clock cycles going from... 22940 940 in less than one meter to 22945. That means five clock cycles more. So I moved the target of one meter and the measure that I get is that I move it uh, of more than 10 meters. So it's not really accurate. The same for the third anchor. So we have issue. We ran blind experiments, we didn't uh, do any previous analysis, so we have a noise over the, the ranging that we did. Instead, we should simply see distance growing or decreasing uh, over uh, along the lines, but it's not like that. Then it's clock ranging, because you see here, I just reported the number of clock cycles, so there is no conversion to meters, so it's not a calibration effect. Then we are averaging out thousand of consecutive measure. We are not changing the target because it's always the same station and the anchors, okay, they are there, so we are not changing them. We are also fixing the rate, so we are always using one megabit per second. So it's not something due to the interface because we are fixing the data rate and averaging out thousand of measures. So what can be due this effect may be multipath. Okay, so let's check if can be multipath. Go outside, we repeat this experiment outside using omnidirectional antenna. On the outside I don't have uh, the roof effect, there is no walls, so it's uh, open space. And this is the ranging experiment repeated outside, I have the same effect here. Okay, this time I repeat the experiment and I use Yagi antenna. So they are really directional, there shouldn't be any multipath effect. You see, in fact, the measure is really nice. Then luckily, during the experiment, I put the Yagi antenna with the, the dipole in this position and uh, the antenna of the target in this position. So there was a uh, 90 degree between the, di- the Yagi antenna and the dipole of, uh, the, um, of the target. Luckily, because otherwise I would not uh, understand also that there was another issue. So you see this is the same graph with the mispolarization between the transmitter Yagi antenna and the dipole used on the target. So everything seems good, But then here, a point has an estimation that is completely broken. So, can't be multipath because I'm using a Yagi at the transmitter of the anchor, that is the receiver of the acknowledgement. So, we analyzed better the input uh, section of the radio that we are using in the Broadcom card and uh, it's Everything is closed source, you, you don't have access to any documents. But if you go and read some journal like Solid State Circuits, then you will find that Broadcom and also Atero, Seralink, everybody is publishing a lot of papers without saying this paper, this architecture is for this card or for this other card. But you can recognize because it's two years that I'm working with this radio, so I can read the paper and understand that, okay. This paper describes this radio. So how the the radio is done? We have an automatic gain control input filter that is uh, synchronized with the PLCP. And if during the reception of the preamble, it detects that the uh, power level is too low, then it tries to amplify the signal of the packet so that there is a, a better chance to decode without errors the actual data that you transmit but this is implemented using a number of uh, um, lc circuit and asking to circuit experts in my department they told me that uh, every one of these is introducing an additional delay in the processing of the packet so we forced this behavior in a strange configuration and uh, this is the clock estimate, sorry the clock capture over uh, 15,000 samples, and you see that we have very variation. It is because the power was set to a level so that the automatic gain control was uh, going crazy, sometimes amplifying the signal and sometimes not. So this means that if we have a report about the automatic gain control level for every received acknowledgement, then we can try to correct the measure and in fact, this is a corrected version of the previous graph. The previous graph here, this was a maximum of, of 19 meters. So here instead, it's, the maximum is 25. So it's not, this is the same data, sorry, that I get with the mispolarized uh, experiment, but using this correction, by uh, knowing the automatic air control level, then I am able to correct the range measure. Now, some last slide because uh, I want to show you the extreme variability of this measure depending on the radio that is used on the receiver. Here we have two broadband cards, two different, and this is an experiment where I am uh, sending thousands and thousands of uh, probe, waiting for the acknowledgement and doing the ranging measure. This is the... Dist- the distribution of the point, and you can compare what happens when the target is a Broadcom, but two different uh, samples of the same radio. So the, the distribution is quite the same. Then what happens when I try to target an iPhone 4? You see? This distribution moves. Because we have here uh, less than 23,000 uh, clock cycles every time. With an iPhone 4 instead, I have every time more than 23,000 clock cycles. And what happens with the iPhone, I, iPhone 4S? Well, you see how accurate is the, engine, the acknowledgement engine in an iPhone 4S. You have two distributions, uh, completely separated. Depending on, the, I don't know what the, the the radio was doing. Maybe it was really uh, doing some other stuff, so that uh, it takes more time to answer to with an acknowledgement. So this means that uh, maybe also the systems that are sold by Cisco and the uh, Fraunhofer offer and by Avilok and so on cannot be so accurate because. Uh, the range that you can get depends strongly on the kind of radio that is used on the target that you you are trying to localize. So some question, how many ranging measures should be collected? Well, clearly it depends on the variability on which the target radio answer back to within the acknowledgement. So to understand how many measures should be done, we did these comprehensive experiments where we transmit probes from a separate access point that is, not, that is sorry that is not an anchor to a target, the target sent back the acknowledgement and then we are using passive anchors that simply takes the time of arrival of the probe and the, take, and the times of the, of, the tar- of the acknowledgement sent back by the target. So we have access point sending traffic to the target, target sending back acknowledgement to the access point and two passive anchors that are simply sampling the time of arrival of uh, probes sent by the access point and acknowledgement sent back by the target. Here we have uh, the delay between the two packets monitored using one uh, Broadcom card and here another Broadcom uh, card. So we have here measure taken by anchor A and by anchor B. This is the distribution of points that we get using uh, the iPhone, yes, and this red instead is the distribution of points that I got using a very old MacBook uh, with an Atheros card. So this is the anchor accuracy because uh, these are measures taken by different anchors. So if you measure here the interval between this line black and the other line you get the accuracy of the anchor. So basing on this accuracy you can you can uh, decide the number of measures that you should uh, you should take. Here instead is the accuracy of scheduling the acknowledgement by iPhone and this is instead the accuracy of the Atheros uh, chipset. So you see the Atheros chipset is more accurate than the iPhone one and this means that we, it requires less measurement to be done with respect to the iPhone. Then, what's going on? We did an experiment with the localization. So using four anchors, using uh, um, Bancroft algorithm and... Uh, that is the algorithm used to do measurement with the GPS system. These were the position of the anchors, here the red squares. Blue were the actual position where we put the target, and the green one instead is an estimated position. And you see that uh, outside in a garden, it was uh, not uh, raining, luckily when we did the experiment, the error is not that much. So this system can be used actually to localize target outside, but outside we have the GPS, so why we should use this complex system? And what about the inside? Here it's uh, the error that we get uh, doing uh, some experiments, Uh, we took uh, 10 different measures, and this is the error in the outside experiment, this is the error in the inside experiment, so we had uh, some measure with uh, 25 meters of error, affected. And uh, how was the environment? It was a very big open space with a very high roof. So this means that uh, even in a very wide environment, but closed, the effect of the wall and of the, of the top is really uh, affecting this kind of measure. Then we did also a tracking experiment because when you move, it's written on the standard 802.11 session should not be moved. And in fact, you see, this was a tracking experiment outside moving uh, quite uh, fastly, like uh, one meter per second. Outside, we have a very accurate tracking. We should have a very accurate tracking based on the errors uh, slide that I showed you before. Instead... Here we have a lot of errors and actually there was another segment but the results were so bad that uh, unfortunately um, we have to skip those points we don't know we we need to do some more experiments. So what we want to do as future work for this localization problem is to avoid active ranging that is having anchors that are sending traffic for two reasons. The first is to remove the CFS uncertainty in the radio of the target station. And the second reason is that uh, this kind of ranging requires more traffic to be injected in the network. So we want to simply consider packets transmitted by target using only the time these packets are received by all the anchors without active measurement. That means anchors are not sending anything. They are just measuring the time of arrival of packets sent by the targets that we want to monitor. Unfortunately, this requires a really accurate synchronization of the clock inside the anchors. And if at a very slow time scale, like the one required to do the active ranging experiment, the clock skew effect is really... Negligible. At the millisecond scale, this effect of uh, s- clock skew between the internal clock of the anchor is uh, is huge. Here, this is the last curve I get last week, and uh, I don't know what happened. I think I was I was using my computer, but anyway. Okay, uh, this is uh, in blue data produced by anchor number one, red data produced by anchor number two, and in green is the data produced by a third anchor. Now what uh, I did is to synchronize the clock of anchors using beacons transmitted by a known access point. So for every beacon I reset the internal clock of the anchor, of all anchors, then for every incoming packet transmitted by the target I simply take this time and then I collect the times of, of a, um, a packet was observed at a red target, at a red anchor, sorry, at blue anchor, at the green anchor. Then this is the anchor, the blue one that I take as a reference, so that I subtract the clock cycles of the blue anchors from those of the red one, and here, I have subtracted the clock of the blue anchors to those uh, get by the the green one. And you see, this is the interval between one beacon and the next beacon. It's uh, 100 milliseconds, and this is the effect of the clock skew. So it's a very huge effect. So this means that we have to first calibrate the clock of the anchors so that we can use measurement to determine with uh, uh, algorithms like the time difference of arrival, can use these algorithms to determine the position of the target but uh, it's uh, ongoing work so the conclusions is the I showed you how we use the open WWF firmware to implement uh, some proposals like partial packet recovery piggybacking I skipped the Mac engine but there is no time unless you ask me how to solve the problem of localization and to demonstrate that uh, the A lot of work is required to to resolve this problem. And what else? Well, there are uh, some ideas to improve mesh forwarding. Like this. I have a mesh node that sends data, then waits for the acknowledgement. Usually, the forwarding is done in a separate access to the channel. What can be done instead is that the node in the middle receives the data, and instead of sending back the acknowledgement, it simply forwards the data immediately, like in the, the piggybacking uh, approach. In this way, we are using the, uh, the time that is reserved for the acknowledgement. We are using more, in, in, uh, actually. But in that case, if uh, everything is successful, this means that we have already forwarded the packet instead of... Uh, need a separate access for, to do the forwarding. Okay. So, this is an, an, an ongoing idea with the guys at, um, um, in, in there. Now, we need to put hands on the, to the 11 and phi, because uh, otherwise all this stuff is uh, old today. And hopefully within the end of the year, we will release uh, some work uh, that can be used uh, to drive uh, experiments with the n phi. In the original system, where you depend on the location, where you depend on it turning around the packet in a fixed amount of time in the slips, yeah. or for the acknowledgement, you could probably cheat on your location by delaying. In this second system, can you still cheat? Or in the proposed one? Yeah. Mm, mm, I think no, because it's ju- it's based just on time of arrival of your packet. So you cannot, unless you have directional antennas. In that case, uh, maybe with uh, two radios, you can send one packet to an anchor and another one to another anchors. So, in that case, yes, you can cheat. Okay, so Francesco. Yeah, I guess. Yes. So, Francesco is here till Friday afternoon. In case you have any questions, please download the. Left.